0: Welcome to the next edition of the Career Conversations Podcast, brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group. My name's Craig McGregor, and thanks for listening. If this is your first time to our podcast, what is the Career Conversations Podcast? Well, it's basically a look at at life through the employment lens, and we we talk to different individuals from various walks of life about how they got to where they are, and and more importantly, why they're passionate and motivated to, to work in the sector or in the roles that they're in. Today's podcast is with a, a a guy that I've known for some time, and I've I've seen him travel through different iterations of his career. and His name's Matt Linnett and this is this is a really deep and, and probably more of a, a conversation about the journey as opposed to the destination. It's a really good look at uh, how he's weaved his way to where he is today, and we don't really get stuck on the the what, but more about the why. and We talk about his his passion for for helping people one on one, and we talk about his His journey through life and figuring out himself where things weren't right or weren't fitting to more importantly finding what is right for him to move forward in not just his career but his life so sit back and enjoy our great conversation today with Matt Linnett. Today's podcast is brought to you by Hunter Recruitment Group people-centric recruiters. HRG looks to use technology and personal interviewing techniques to ensure the best fit possible for both the candidate and the employer. We operate labour hire and temp services for various sites, conduct permanent recruitment searches and have an innovative program we call temp to perm You can find us on the web www.hrgroup.com.au. Or search for us on your favourite social site, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Whether you're an employer looking for a fantastic new team member or you're an individual seeking their next great career move, start a conversation with Hunter Recruitment Group today. So welcome to the Career Conversations podcast, Matt Linnett.
1: Yeah, thank you, mate. Good to be here. Yeah,
0: so look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I first started this podcast, I, I created a bit of a target list of all the people that I know. And I went, who is it that I really want to talk to about their careers and what they do and why they've got to where they are? And mm-hmm. Matt Linnett was one of the first people I jotted down on that list. So I'm really oh, yeah. happy that you're here with me today.
1: All right, it's good to be here. I'm yeah. not quite you sure
0: how I made the show, at least, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll get to that. People will get to hear your story, and I'm sure mm-hmm. they'll be fascinated. So mm-hmm. why don't we, we're talking about career. Let's start at the start. So Matt's mm-hmm. at school. Whereabouts did you go to school?
1: Uh, went, to, went to school at your minor, yep. which is on the Central Coast, New South Wales.
0: Beautiful part of the world.
1: Yeah, it's a, fa- uh, it's a fabulous part of the world. Yeah. yeah. I
0: remember we, we lived down there for a little while when I worked on the Central Coast, and mm-hmm. one of the cool things my wife and I did was... Daylight savings time, because we didn't know the area. Mm-mm. Finished work at 5.30. We'd just jump in the car and go, all right, let's find somewhere new. And I still remember going out to your minor Beach and mm. growing up in Newcastle. Yeah. I remember sitting on the beach going, where's the coal ships? Mm. There's no ships out there. Yeah. And there was all these little islands that you could see. It was just mm. a totally different aspect or mm. uh, perspective on a beach. So mm. it was cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good area to grow up. Different to Newcastle, different area, different bit of a different culture to Newcastle. Yep. Um, I actually grew up at Kilcare, which is, um, well, back then it was a really small uh, community. It was good, good place to grow
0: up. So when you were at school, did you have any idea about what older Matt was going to do? No. No?
1: No, none whatsoever.
0: That's not a bad thing, is it? Um...
1: Well, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's a. I think it can be a little bit challenging yep. because it's the common question, right? Mm. For a for a fifteen, sixteen, seventeen year old person, they often get asked, "So, what do you want to do?" Yeah. And if you're not if you're not sure, sometimes it can leave you floundering a little mm. bit, yeah, especially absolutely. in your twenties. You know, I, I've met a lot of people in their twenties which are really in a drift mm. because. You know, I think while you're at school, you, you have a target and that is to to move through your schooling. Yeah. But once you leave school, it's if you don't have a bit of clarity about what you want to do with yourself, um, you know, it's all, all fun and games until you wake up one day and think, well, maybe I actually need to apply myself to something here. Yeah.
0: So did you have one of those days? Did you, you were just not floundering but not sure what you wanted to do? Uh, did you have a bit of a... Clarity, and what was the first role that you had?
1: Well, I was never, I was never particularly motivated by money, mm-hmm. and, and, and I remember that. Um, I did a day's work as a labourer, um, and that, that was okay. But one day's work as a labourer can kind of... Make or break yeah, that dream? Yeah, yeah. Help, help you decide if, yeah. if that's the sort of work you want to do. Um, <clears throat> I, I went to uni and study mathematics to start with. So yeah. why,
0: why mathematics? Well, I was
1: pretty good at it. Yeah. Um,
0: so did you have a passion for it? Because I always find that interesting, that people do things that they're good at, yeah. that they really like it.
1: Yeah, it's a good, uh, you know, yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think I really found my passion at that stage of life, yep. okay? So where where the attention went to was something which I could think, which I thought I could make work. And because there wasn't enough passion, there wasn't enough commitment into the course.
0: Did you have a... And after
1: six months, I failed Yeah. Okay. pretty much everything.
0: Did you have a goal when you went into it? Did you go, okay, I'll study maths to be a maths teacher or I'll study maths to do something else in that field or did you just no, think I'm good at it, I'll go and study it?
1: Well, I think the, I think the goal was um, I best occupy myself with something and I probably didn't really feel like going and working and making money for the sake of making money because I wasn't adequately motivated for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I and, and I still do, I, I value a simple life. So a simple life doesn't need to be an expensive life. Um, so what do you do, right? So you leave school and you either go and get a job doing something that you kind of like, or you go and do a job because it, it kind of follows the conditioning or ideas of your family or you go to tafe or you go to uni so uni was where i ended up mm-hmm. and, and it was good fun in it fact was. it was probably a little bit too much <laughs> fun but i do remember getting to the end of that first semester and looking at my name on the notice board and three out of four subjects i failed
0: mm.
1: And one out of four subjects, I had a terminating pass, in which meant I couldn't continue that subject.
0: Yeah, okay. And that
1: subject was mathematics.
0: Yep. So uh, that was a bit of a
1: wake-up call.
0: So was it just a lack of commitment to it? Yeah. You were just doing other other things.
1: It was. uh, Um. It was a lack of commitment. But it was a lack of thirst, right? So, so for me, a commitment's a, like a byproduct. A person's committed if something means enough to them. Mm-hmm. So, so there wasn't enough hunger or thirst for for that.
0: So I, I left. So why do you think that was? Was it because there wasn't a an end game plan? Because you were just doing it?
1: Well, we'll probably get to motivation a little bit because it's something I work a lot yeah. with people these days um and at that point in time there wasn't enough thirst because there wasn't an end game plan Mm. but also there was it wasn't tapping into anything within me which created enough importance in its own right okay so basically the lack of motivation was coming from both ends yeah okay and so so i left feeling not too great about myself because it was a pretty expensive exercise mm. not just for me but also for my parents yeah. um i wouldn't say they well, maybe they did fund a fair bit of it but it was just a waste in it from a from a financial perspective it was a waste but from a life learning perspective it was it was gold mm. so i spent six months <laughs> floundering around yeah. and then i went back Back to uni again in education, majoring in maths.
0: Yeah, okay. And so then that then end goal was maths teacher. That's what you were going to be. Yeah. So did you achieve that? Yeah. Yeah, okay.
1: And had a lot of motivation not to fail. <coughs> yep. So it's funny, huh? So you, you felt
0: know? it. You didn't want to feel that again. Yeah,
1: didn't want that feeling. Yeah. So worked, worked hard, got some good results. And and what I found there was teaching... With, teaching And sharing information and seeing a person get something was something which I valued yeah that I intrinsically felt um, that this was who you were well maybe not in terms of who I who I am but certainly something that I'm here to do the content is something I've explored over the years so I'm not teaching maths anymore and I'm not teaching in the school system either but in terms of sharing and guiding and mentoring and supporting, um, yeah, that, that, that degree showed me that that was something which really meant, meant something to yeah, me. Yeah,
0: which is we'll, – we'll get to what you do now a bit mm-hmm. later, but I've, mm-hmm. that's really interesting that you've gotten there through something that isn't the end game, I yeah. suppose, that you discovered a major piece of you in something that you're probably good at, maths teaching, I'm guessing mm-hmm. – but you've gone, okay, the, the real crux of this is actually seeing someone learn and help that individual. Yeah. Oh, that's going to drive me elsewhere. So, yeah. how long did you did you stay a teacher for? Uh, not that long. I, was, I taught in
1: Australia for two years and then I went to the UK and I taught over there for another two years. And then... This is a while ago now, mate. <laughs> We're getting old, aren't we? Um, and then I came back to Australia and I taught sort of casually for about 12 months. Yep. So was it was high school? And that was that, uh, yeah. i yep. Yeah. And, you know, I like kids. Yep. You know, they're, they can be a bit tricky to deal with from time to time, but you kind of know
0: where you're at with them. Is that? I've never never really talked to a teacher about this but is that a big component of your education at uni is there like if you broke down yes you've got to learn maths and Mm. and the the fundamentals of mathematics Mm. to teach it Mm. if you broke it down is it like a (coughs) 80 20 split is 20 percent of your education at uni about how to deal with the students and how to motivate the students and and manage the 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 classroom or is it 50 50 yeah well
1: Okay, so I'm 45 now. So it was probably <laughs> 25 years ago so that changed, I yeah. went through the process. It may have changed, it may not. Yeah. But I can speak in terms of my experience is there was probably 60 to 70% was the technical. Mm-hmm. So in my case, the mathematical um, content. <clears throat> and the other was kind of like, um, how do I put it? Maybe the, the pedagogy, which is like the curriculum development yeah, and, okay. and, and, and methods of assessment. The part which I I can't really remember looking much at is understanding people, yeah. and for me, that's the ticket.
0: Pretty critical.
1: That's the, that's the absolute ticket. You know, like I think a lot of courses. Um, they develop people well technically in their field but we kind of leave you know the 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 humanity or the humane aspect what motivates people why do some people get stressed about certain things and and you know how, how do you support a person that's turned up and you can just see that they're not their self
2: hmm.
1: so whether that's Business degrees, or engineering degrees, or education degrees, or whatever it is, I'm, I'm not convinced we're there yet in mm. terms of how much, um, um, how much time we put in towards that, and and how much focus there is on that. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully one day might change. Hey? That might change.
0: So you have been teaching. Yeah. You finish teaching. Yeah. So why do you finish teaching? Um
1: it'd be really easy if there was a rational answer to that. (laughs) But I just felt disillusioned, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't feel like it was where I was really meant to be.
0: Yeah. So were you disillusioned with the system and the schools or was it just, hey, I don't fit?
1: It's the second. Like the critical mind goes to the first, right? So... For me, the way human nature typically works is if we don't like something, we blame yep. something else. Someone, we blame the system or we blame, yep. you know, in that example, we blame the kids or we blame the government or we blame the curriculum or whatever. But the reality is, is that it just wasn't where I was meant to be, right? And so to try to make myself feel better, I could go and blame everybody else.
0: So, did you do that at the time? Oh no, not really. No. Not oh, look, probably because it's a in part. If you look back now, like it's a while back, I'm sure like you might your personal circumstances probably have changed with family, etc. Mm-hmm. But from a financial commitment, mm-hmm. um, ego, all those different things, mm-hmm. it's a big thing to do. To go, hey, I've gone and trained for x amount of years, and yeah. now I've got six, seven years' experience. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to quit this and go and do something else. Yeah. Not many people do that. They just stick with it because mm. they feel they have to.
1: Well, I've given that a lot of thought. And um, and for me, the driver was fear. And the fear was... There's two fears in that situ- situation. The fear is um, if I let all this go because I wasn't even clear what I was meant to go to, right? Mm, yeah, if, I, if I let all this go just because it doesn't feel right, am I just going to end up floundering all over the place and nothing's really going to change? Or um, there's the fear, if I don't let it go, am I going to get to 60 mm-hmm. and regret yep. that I never followed that instinct yep. or, or followed that inclination to actually make the change? Mm. So in my circumstance the disillusionment was big enough you chose that to say let's not take the risk of regret um let's actually take the risk that i'm throwing my future up in the air a bit here Mm. and i'm giving up conceptually all those years of study and learning Mm. But the thing is, is you never leave that stuff behind. You take it with you. It just turns into a different form. Yeah, use it differently. Yeah, it's not wasted. Like that first six months of uni that I failed everything, that's not wasted. Mm. Just because I didn't complete a pure maths degree doesn't mean it was wasted time. Yeah. But in the in that moment of deciding, it, it's tough, mate. Yeah, yeah, It's absolutely. a it's a really it's a really hard position to be in. Um, because I'm a pretty loyal person by personality. So to actually say I'm out and step away is, um, I actually need to be bigger than my personality to make that decision. Yep. Yeah. And, but it felt like it was the right thing for me to do, even though it came with a lot of um, heartache mm. and confusion because, you know, yeah, so uh, at you, that point what did in you time... Do? Well, I tried to explain it to maybe my fiance at that point in time and she couldn't understand it logically Mm -hmm. and I couldn't understand it logically so how could anyone else understand it logically it just felt like it was time for a shift Mm -hmm. so what did I do being a mathematician I figured that if you're going to earn money doing some sort of job for a certain number of years it makes sense to understand the way the financial system works. Mm-hmm. So I went and studied finance. Mm-hmm. So I studied a financial planning uh, diploma. I really didn't know too much about it. Um, I, think, I think the field crossed my path mm. via my brother-in-law. Um, don't really think I spoke to him much about it but being a person that wasn't particularly interested in money and I look back at (laughs) it and I think you know this is just a completely logical play right yeah if I'm going to work until I'm 60 or whatever efficiency is good so if I'm going to make 60 grand a year I want to make that 60 grand work really well for me if I'm going to make 250 grand a year I want to make that money work Mm -hmm. well for me whatever the number so for me it was about knowledge so I studied I studied finance not with a view to go into finance or financial advice or planning as a career, but more for... Personal use. For, for personal, personal use.
0: So from a career perspective, did you jump into that?
2: Well, I field? did, I did yeah. end up in there.
0: So was what I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. It's really interesting. I find it fascinating how... Like, take, take me back to that time. You're going for an interview at a financial planning house mm-hmm. with your study but having a maths degree and as a maths teacher, yeah. how do you think you were perceived by those employers? Do you think mm. that they looked at you positively as, here's a fresh face, new oh, yeah. ideas, or was it, no, we want to st- stick to our knitting, we want someone who's got five years financial mm. planning experience, etc. cetera? Mm. Tell me mm. about that experience.
1: Well, what I, what I discovered was a little bit about culture, culture in different organisations because remember this is my first step into the corporate world and coming away from government okay so what I learnt was that some cultures are really interested in people with sales background Mm -hmm. and some people some cultures are really interested in people that are coming in from a service background and it happened that I came across an organisation which had quite a bit of success in bringing ex-teachers in because they liked the idea of um, an educational approach to financial yeah, advice. Okay. Yeah, okay. Good. So that's... Um, and so a position was opened up for me, mm-hmm. which worked quite well for a while. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot. Um but then I think after about two years or so, there was a restructure and I received a redundancy.
0: Yeah, okay. How did that feel? Can I swear? Yeah.
1: <laughs> it felt like shit. Yeah, yeah. Because I felt like I gave that that job a lot. Mm. Okay, I gave a lot of my energy. I was really looking to to repay the organisation that um, Given you a gave me a chance. Yep. Um, I felt the communication up to that redundancy had been pretty poor for the month or two prior.
2: Um,
0: It's hard not to take it personally, isn't it? Most most companies will give you the HR spiel of it's not you that's been made redundant, it's the position that's been made redundant and all that sort of stuff, but it's just almost impossible to not take it personally.
1: It smashes you. For most people, it'll smash their ego, Um, particularly if you're half decent at what you do and, and you feel or you had a vision that you were willing to give that organisation a lot of you for many years to come. Um, yeah, so that, that was... Look, looking back, with, with more experience, I probably would have seen her coming, but mm-hmm. at that point in time, I was still fairly green in the corporate space, so I didn't really see her coming, and, and that was an interesting conversation at home. When I was home before. It's one of the hardest things
0: when we deal with career transition here. Mm -mm. If we're on site talking to individuals that have been made redundant, Mm -mm. one of the first things we say to them is, okay, let's plan the next conversation. Mm -mm. How are we going to talk to our family about this? Mm Because it is a tough conversation to have.
1: Yeah. Especially especially when you're decent at what you do, mm. you know. So that that's sort of like a, a double-edged sword, if you want. Like, I'm not even sure that's the right saying. But on on one hand, you you know you're good at what you do. So you can see that it is a structuring. You know, there needs to be a restructuring for commercial needs of the organisation or whatever it may be. Um, but on the other side, it, it's kind of like, well, why would you let... Know, yeah, let let someone go who's capable, mm. but who's to say I oh, was any more capable or suitable than somebody else? You know, mm. so it took a little. It took a little bit of while to sort of lick the wounds, but it wasn't too long after that that, once again, I could see that there was real value in the experience, mm. and in in fact, I think it's, I think it's helped. I think it's helped me grow a greater appreciation for the mechanics of corporations, organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that you know my value set always aligns to um, every organization's value set, but I can understand the actual mechanics. Um, but it also has helped me appreciate what it's like for an individual trying to navigate and face the facts of mortgages and uncertainty and, and the temptation just to run to another job which is mm-hmm. in the same field that they're already experienced, but to sit down and, and maybe recognize that you that a person's really been wishing of doing something else for a decade yeah, it's an opportunity yeah yeah, but it's a it's a tough one, and I think I think people need a fair bit of support mm. through through those sorts of processes
0: hundred percent mm. all right, so what happened next for Matt? Um take long to find another job? Did you find another job? Did well, you go it, off and start your own thing? Well no, no. I
1: actually just sat and I, I gave myself about a month yep. six weeks just to just to take some time. Mm-hmm. Because keep in mind, right, I'd been through teaching, I popped out the other side. I now studied three or four years in financial uh, planning, had a job there for a couple of years and now I was without work. Mm. And I wouldn't say that any of those jobs were I like, spoke to every cell of my body, mm. right? Some in more ways than others, but So I looked my wounds for four or six weeks and that was really enjoyable, right? Because um, I could fix up stuff around the house, but then I decided that and I was not wasn't just finished. about
0: the house. It's about the head. Well, it's you... getting clarity. Yeah. It's going. okay, yeah, woe is me. almost like a bit of a grieving period what's just happened and then it's about going what's next you got to take that time absolutely if you can afford it Mm. 100 the best thing you can do is just sit on it for a month six Mm. weeks whatever period that is
1: and for me doing (laughs) some stuff around the house at that point in time helped with that because it got me out of my head yeah got you into my hands bit you know a bit of physical work and um and it gave a chance for the dust to settle and then I could actually see the way I was thinking about it with much more clarity, hmm. okay? As opposed to just being caught up in the story of Correct. it. Get I could a actually like you said see, see it. So I decided that I wasn't finished in that industry. I just didn't want to, I guess, I didn't feel like there was much closure in the way that happened. So I went and applied for a couple of other jobs and landed a, landed a, a job in a small sort of independent advisory firm. That no, was good. I learned a lot there as well, mm-hmm. for a while, <laughs> but that didn't last. Just wasn't all you. that long. Well, that I think after about eighteen months or two years, I came, I came, I came to the realization that um, that that helping people put money together was a really Lovely service, an important thing to do, but it wasn't what I was meant to be doing.
0: Was it a good? You just mentioned you needed closure from the industry. Yeah. Was that eighteen months important to get that? Yeah. For you to be the boss of when I leave, as opposed to someone else dictating when you leave. There
1: could have been a control aspect to it. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I didn't really feel in control the second time either. It felt like there was something just pushing me, saying, "Mate, your time's up here." Yeah. So I kind of felt like I didn't really have a choice from a intellectual perspective so it wasn't kind of like i was walking and going right Oh, i'm the boss this time and i'm out it was like there was i don't know something much deeper within me and said your time's up here buddy you can either exit gracefully or i can kick you around until you can't turn up anymore because I, because at that stage um uh You know, uh, there was so little energy for the work that it was really hard to get out of bed and get there. Mm. And so I remember remember saying to my employer, I need to resign because um, I just can't perform at the level of what is appropriate. Mm. And it's not fair to to him. It wasn't fair to me and it wasn't fair to our clients. Mm. And fairness has always been a motivator for me, so I felt that it just wasn't fair for me to be there anymore.
0: Step me through before we move on to more components of your work life. Yeah. I want to talk about support. So mm-hmm. you've been through a bit of change, yeah. forced, individual. Mm-hmm. What sort of? You must have had. You know, you mentioned fiance. I'm sure she's your wife now. Yeah. Tell me about that. Like you'd have to. How does how do you get support around the choices that you've made or how do you, mm-hmm. now that you're part of a team, Well, early, early on in your career, you might not have been married, et cetera, mm-hmm. you can make those choices individually. Tell me about the support mechanisms or how she supported you through this process and was that hard, was it positive, mm-hmm. was it tough? Mm-hmm. Step me through that.
1: Well, uh, that's a good question, mate. I don't think everyone, anyone's ever really asked that question. Um, in... In the transitions that I'm talking about, I don't think I was particularly communicative. What's the word, communicative? Yep. Yeah. Um, So I think she was trying to, I think Debs was trying to read between the lines a little bit. Um, But I think between both of us, we see each other's mental and emotional health as the first priority and always have without necessarily talking about that. Mm And I think we've always believed that, you know, we can carve out a decent life for ourselves, but we don't need to really sacrifice our mind and, and our soul or, um, or emotional state to put a few dollars together.
0: Yeah, good. So Because that can impact when you're going through transition like redundancy, you know, a spouse or a partner yeah. pushing someone, we need money, then they take that next job yeah begrudgingly yeah that's a big impact well
1: i kind of wear my heart on my sleeve and usually i'm a pretty peaceful calm kind of person but it was evident that i wasn't in a good place there and that i needed some time to Mm -hmm. to work through that and it wasn't a case of sitting down for half an hour and having a conversation and it's all resolved you know so i think I think my wife is very wise. She might not see herself that way, but I think she's very wise and um very compassionate. And I think when you put those two things together, you don't necessarily yep. need a lot of words.
0: And more importantly, she understands you.
1: Yeah. I, well,
0: or is that too hard?
1: That's a pretty complex thing, I think. <laughs> um I think I think what really bonds a relationship is is faith in each other um i'm not talking about it from a religious or spiritual yeah. aspect but just belief that the other person is doing their best yeah. and that the other person has your back and sometimes our best is might cost a few dollars while we're trying to navigate a change mm. um, and quite frankly if a if a person retires with um you know half a million bucks behind them or six hundred thousand behind them, it's not going to make much difference mm. in my opinion, mm. okay so I think sometimes we're a bit we're a bit scared of making some critical changes and uh, so I, I always felt supported, I could feel fear you know there's no question that sometimes there was and the fear was twofold one of the fears was are we going to be able to pay the mortgage at the end of the month the other fear is you know is he so upset or so sad that he's going to do something stupid right so it's a it's a very very difficult Mm. a very difficult time of it.
0: Mm. okay step me through so you finished financial planning on your own terms. <laughs> what was next?
1: Uh, nothing. Just nothing? I had no idea. Yep. I had no idea. Every formula that I ever thought was the right formula to apply to life had just been blown out of the water. Mm-hmm. All right, um, To be socially connected and physically fit and have a good job and have a nice house and be married and uh have, yep, a, have a family the dream. on the way living the dream so why could you feel that you're not mm. you know so that's when that, I think that's when I really kicked into a gear of self-inquiry you know who am I what's all this really about what's the purpose of um what's the purpose of life those sort of big questions which sometimes people look for universal answers but really it's a very subjective and personal um, exploration uh so i was helping out a mate who was a landscaper because we needed some sort of money so i was digging holes and mixing back to the start yeah and it was good It, it, it was good fresh air not too much thinking and the, and the people that we were building there, uh, doing the work for they said, you must have really hated finance.
0: To be doing this. To be doing
1: this. And I said to them, I didn't really hate it. I just knew that it, it just it wasn't for me. I couldn't do it anymore. It just wasn't for me. And they said, well, we'd really like to learn about financial stuff, but we don't really want to make like a advice commitment to anybody. We just want to learn. And I said, "Well, I'm not interested," um, but I love your endeavours. And after about three months, they wore me down. And I said, "Well, I'll put together a program for you." So I drew on the educational background, I drew on the finance background, I put together a program, and I took them through the program, and and um, and the couple, one, one was a doctor and one was a teacher, and we got about four months through the program, and we. We'll, learning about estate planning and superannuation and self-managed superannuation funds and family trusts and all, like good stuff, you know. Uh, And then I discovered they really didn't enjoy their work. And I thought you're learning all this finance stuff. It was like looking at a mirror, Mm. right? You're learning all this finance stuff to try to navigate your way through your work kind of as quickly as possible. But the reality is, is you're not all that engaged in it. And so then off the back of that, I realised that I had to really bring that componentry in to share a bit about my experience and to find ways to help people understand and discover passions and discover a deeper purpose that they can bring to what they do. And, and sometimes people start their careers with that but after 10 or 15 or 20 years, they've lost touch with that. So sometimes mm. it's just the way we're focused and the way we're looking at what we're doing. So I'm not saying they necessarily needed to make a change from their careers, but they certainly needed to change their relationship with yeah, well, their career. Okay? Mm. Um, so through that period, I used to, I basically started this consulting business. So I could go home and say, well we're doing something right and I think I was making about minus three thousand dollars a month or something (laughs) and off the back of of them as clients I'd go looking for somebody else to work with uh, wanted to develop their knowledge around finance and and bit by bit a bit around themselves and their motivators and I couldn't find another client for 12 months yeah wow so that's when you go through a process of
0: So had you'd set up a business, set up a name, gone to the accountants, set up a business structure, done all that sort of stuff?
1: I had business cards. I was at every networking breakfast and lunch and dinner that was on. And I was having coffees with people and lunches and and everyone was saying what a great Great idea idea. it was. And... I just couldn't get anybody to actually decide that this is something they wanted to do at that point do you in time. What was? Oh, a variety of things. The not enough desire in the market at was that it point so in time. Was it so different
0: to what everyone thought... Yeah, it was different. The ...stereotypical financial planner was, I suppose?
1: Yeah, it was different. I was probably fairly untested. Yeah, um, yeah it wasn't enough trust built up in... Um, in the refer in the where they were being referred from um yeah i'll look for me for for a service to be successful there needs to be a mark of readiness and there also needs to be a perception from the market that 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 person can deliver so you know it's quite probably quite a few variables that Mm. influenced that and then if you want to look at a a little bit more esoterically, you can say, Well, did I really believe I was ready to deliver that service? And when I look back on it, I'm, I don't recall having doubt. I wasn't sure about my capacity to turn it into a business enterprise because I had really no experience with that. Yeah. But in terms of delivering the content and helping that content be understandable and useful, I didn't, didn't have doubts around so that. So,
0: even though you weren't generating sales, yeah. did you feel better in yourself that you were a self-employed person as opposed to working for an organisation?
1: I don't know. I felt better in myself because I felt I had the space to deliver a service which... I really value yep. okay um, it's a little bit demoralizing to, to yes. have something in your hand that you really want to share with people you, you'd probably be happy to give it away mm-hmm. right but no one really wants to take it out of your hand mm-hmm. so that's that's that challenges um, that challenges quite a lot One of the things I did feel better about was was having a go. You know, and and having creating the freedom to just have a shot at this, um, whether it, whether it worked or didn't work, thankfully it kind of worked, um, because that's that's 15, 16 years ago now. Mm. Um, and it's changed a fair bit. I was about time. to say it's not the same anymore. No, no, but the the spirit of it's the same. Yeah. You know, helping people, supporting them, helping them understand things that were probably a little bit elusive Mm. to their understanding, helping people make change. So the spirit of it's the same, but over the course of time, you kind of explore what content supports people the
0: most. Yeah, because your business zigged into, into a partnership as well, didn't you? You went and did the... Oh, well, that was... Was that a side business? Yeah,
1: so... Probably about three or four years in, mm. I met another fellow who had a, who was working in finance at that point in time, and we both believed at that point in time, and we still do, that. I did too. That the community needs financial education from yeah. from a source which isn't involved in the provision of financial products. Mm. So we, we developed a, a knowledge suite. Um, it was very hard for us to get that to launch as a retail product. so we went wholesale and that, that went quite well. and that was acquired. Um, that was acquired about four years ago, so I was involved in that one for about seven years. Yep. and I could put a lot of the education and finance background into, into in the into that, into that educational product. And that was very that was very satisfying, but once again, I knew when it was time for me to exit that business. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that was sort of running side by side with the with the with the consulting business, for sort of that middle period.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah. tell me about that. So you had this twelve month period of. Well, we won't call it success, you've got a business running but you can't generate sales yeah. to then fast forward the clock five or so years mm. and you're running two concurrently successful businesses, yeah. one that gets acquired and now mm. one that you've continued to evolve. So mm. tell me about the different feelings from that perspective.
1: Well, the consultant, the consult, if you want to call it a consulting business, um, uh, you know, that that had a lot of growth. So after that first... 12 months and nothing happened one or two people sort of came along and then I started to work with people which um were much more experienced than me in a, in a business sense but they felt what I was putting on the table was a different way to look at things compared to what they've so seen before informally
0: you were working with them or formally yeah. no formally Yep. formally
1: and and when you work with people which, who are a little bit more established and um and have bigger networks and if they like what you do and they find value in it then the source of referral becomes a little bit easier yeah, yeah. and the strength of that referral becomes stronger um and the question the questioning or the or the doubt around your value starts to diminish yep. so so from, uh, in terms of the consulting work, uh, uh, I picked up to a nice sort of steady, steady rate. Um, and then to kick off the other business, at, uh, at the same time, I felt like they sort of complemented each other mm. to an extent.
0: Yep, absolutely. Now the,
1: the thing is, my drive was never a particular goal in the future. Mm. My drive was always doing what felt like was the right thing to be doing week to week month to month so in terms of that 12 months and nothing was happening I didn't feel like it was yeah. in the wrong place I just felt like everything hadn't lined up just yet yeah. right so when everything was working it was relieving mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like oh I've arrived now yeah
0: you know, okay. I it didn't
1: it was it's
0: quite that's interesting because most people would I'm guessing that they've Pounding away at something, it's it's not yeah. there. But then all of a sudden we get ten customers and we feel like yes, we've made it. But not the case, hey?
1: Yeah, but is a business ever a finished product?
0: Oh no, no way.
1: You know, so I think it's I think it's important to to keep that in mind, and it, and it always comes down to the source of motivation. If mm. the source of motivation is to be turning over whatever number it is yep. a month, when we start turning over that, we kind of go oh wonderful, and then your key employee leaves. right so one of the things i learned a lot through that process was security and stability is is as frail for the self-employed as it is for the employed Mm. you know like things change and
2: and industries
1: change and so where do we build a sense of safety and security well it's really from within Mm. you know and whether that's Someone who's working for themselves or has a dream of that, or someone who really likes working in an employment relationship. Um, for me, the trick is alignment.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, enough self-awareness to know where what really, really suits Feels us. Right. And
0: yep. Okay, so let's tell us tell us what you're doing now.
1: Um, well, as I said, I sold out of that financial education business, and my focus now is working with people typically one-to-one mm-hmm. but i do do some workshop um stuff but typically one-to-one to help people and find direction find a bit of harmony find a bit of peace of mind and and not and often but not always make some sort of change
0: so when you say people yeah is it business owners is it
1: would be business owners. Yep. Not always, but quite often in professional-type services. Um, Or people that like to take a professional approach to, um, you know, to a trades business or something along those lines. Yeah, okay. And then the other mm, 25% thereabouts would be um, managers or... Sometimes kids of my clients are in their twenties and yeah, okay. yeah, so it's um or or an employee who's finding everything maybe a little bit difficult and their employer thinks, well, it maybe it's a good well? idea just to stop for a little bit and uh, recalibrate. Um so there's three things I'm looking for is one is to help a person find more peace. Okay less stress. The second one is productivity. I think efficiency is really important. I don't know too many people who enjoy moving through their day inefficiently.
0: Mm. Is um, that the mathematician coming out in you? I
1: think so. Yeah. And Well, I think there's a lot of logic through all of it. Mm. And the third thing is a sense of purpose. And I think a lot of people can kind of get one or two down. So they might be really productive, but... They're feeling a bit stressed, and there might be a bit of "What's the point of all this?" Or they have a purpose well, we're always operating under some sort of purpose, but sometimes the purpose doesn't have as much meaning to it as we'd like. Mm. So a person has a sense of purpose, but their focus isn't real good, so their productivity's down, and they get stressed around that. Um, I don't buy into the idea that we need to be stressed to be productive. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that that's necessary if there's enough purpose we don't need the stress to be motivated we just go for it.
0: So do you get so you've got those three pillars Yeah. when you've started to work with someone do you, is, it, is it a high level of people that you get to where you feel and they feel you know what I think I've hit the three pillars I've, I've gotten to that mm-hmm. point where and then is there a maintenance pro, process from moving forward or how do you sustain it?
1: well this the values in this in the maintenance in in okay. sustaining it right um it's easy for a person to go to bali and feel peaceful and relaxed yeah. and yep. you know and then they're back in it. Mm-hmm. so it needs to be integrated it needs to be integrated into everyday life mm-hmm. um you know some people have businesses and young families and mortgages and yeah you know and and they like to be involved with the community so You know there's a lot there's a lot of variables and a lot to juggle Mm. so when i work with people the first thing we do is we sit down and we just i learn about their situation they learn a bit about the way i work with people which involves face-to-face meetings but also we get them to do some questionnaires and self-observation sort of stuff in terms of where stress comes from and is it really coming from where we might think it's coming from for example Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and there's kind of an initial process which might be four to six months which doesn't which sounds like a long time but it's not it's you know like this stuff isn't a flick isn't a flick of the switch Mm. yeah very few people will go through a transition of more peace and productivity and peacefulness just by because they wake up one day and they've yep. got it and they pay you money doesn't, doesn't work like yeah, that yeah, yeah so they need to do the work but I'm there to help them um, and then off the back of that if they'd like to catch up once a quarter or once every two months or something like that they're welcome to and I have I have some people which have been with me for probably a decade yeah wow okay and they're curious and they really want to invest in themselves and 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 they feel the benefit every time we catch up and um, and they feel it's helped with their relationships and with their concentration and with their their leadership and whatnot. And I have some people which, something's really irritating them. I'll come in for a few months, the irritation's gone and okay. I don't see them again. Yep. And I'm happy with both, you know, it's fine. Yep.
0: Okay. Yeah. Tell me about some of your side projects or one of your big ones, the Collective Heart. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that.
1: Mm, collective Heart's good. Um, I, I, I think anyone who has had the fortune of a reasonable amount of success, and when I say reasonable, I'm not talking about shooting the lights out, but, you know, they're able to mm-hmm. provide for their family and... I think one of the things which is really lovely is to contribute a little bit to community. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be easy to find the place for you to do that. And then sometimes it's not as evident. Mm. Um, So about three or four years ago, um, I put a group of people together and had a breakfast. And I said, what's your thoughts about catching up once a month We'll throw a little bit of money in together. And I mean a little bit. It's $40 each a month, so mm-hmm. it's not much. Yep. And we'll find some people to give some money to. or We'll find some projects we can go and do a bit of voluntary work with. And we had a good response. I think about 40 people of that group said, yep. yep. And sometimes, sometimes people ask, what's my vision for Collective art?" And... And I say I don't really have a vision for it um, but I have a desire with it.
0: So what are the projects what have you done?
1: Um, Well we've been quite we've been quite supportive of uh, a livelihood centre up in the Philippines which is really doing a lot of work to help street kids and people in very very significant um, circumstances of poverty. We put a reasonable number of hands behind the disabled surfers group in uh, Newcastle. We've been quite effective in supporting um, Soul Cafe in Newcastle, which provides meals and whatnot, and, well, whatnot, lots of really impressive services for for the homeless community. Um, Oh, (laughs) I don't know. Um, We... We offer, well, we put together and deliver gift hampers to the refugee community, Mm -hmm. typically once a year. We put some guys behind helping um, restore a a building which was bought to offer services to the refugee community. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of us have sponsored kids um, offshore. uh, So, I don't know, mate. We, no, just keep, good. we just keep finding stuff to.
0: And tell me the so we talked a bit before we started the recording, Mm-mm. Matt, that I used to know didn't have the croaky voice that we've been listening to today. Mm-mm. Tell us about that. What happened?
1: Um, so about the same time the collective heart started, um, my voice was pretty good.
0: Mm. I remember your dulcet tones. <laughs> I wasn't. I
1: don't think I ever had the potential of being a singer. <laughs> but talking talking was easy and I had a bad cold and it came on pretty much at the same time as we're about to launch Collective Heart. And so my, my role was to stand and basically celebrate the launching of our first breakfast and I didn't want to miss it. So I turned up and I got through it but afterwards my voice was very strained and it never recovered. So I went, I went through about two years of trying to figure out what was going on with it and I couldn't get too many answers because back then it was far worse than it is now. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I could hardly get a sound out.
0: Has it affected... Because, again, if I reflect on Matt that I met ten-odd years ago and knew mm-hmm. five-odd years ago, mm-hmm. you were a really engaging presenter and speaker. mm mm-hmm. Has it affected you, your business and how you perceive yourself? Um,
1: it's probably brought a bit of humility, yeah. more humility, which I think is a wonderful thing for anyone who is looking to support people. Um, I certainly can't stand and present without having a, without having a microphone or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's helped me to focus as well. Okay. I really like working one to one with people. Yep. I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Um, you know, I'm I'm also trained in yoga hmm. and I love developing yoga practices for individuals. Okay, and I so love not that, for yourself. Well, for me too, yep. but but I love that more than teaching a class of twenty odd people. Yep. So I think this voice impediment has once again encourage me to reflect on what do i really want to do with this you know and the other thing that the 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 other thing that it does is it helps you recognize that these senses that we have who knows how long we're going to have them for absolutely you know the capability to talk i just never perceived that that would that would become challenging for Mm. me well if it did it would have been much later in life Mm. right or sight or the ability to to hear and so it's really motivated me to 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 use my mouth to say stuff which feels like it's worthwhile yeah okay um
0: well, hopefully talking to us today has been worthwhile
1: <laughs> well it's worthwhile to me because i i just i i believe that the path i've been on isn't unique and that other people yeah. face similar challenges and if there's a listener who's a little bit lost or a little bit disillusioned with their career or, or whatnot. Hopefully this might give them a little bit of hope that they can navigate their way through it. They can learn a lot from it. And from that pain, they might be able to really support other people at some point in time and, or, or, or become clearer on their priorities or what really matters in life. And,
0: mm.
1: and I'd encourage them to seek support from who from whoever feels right
0: yeah that's right
1: um you don't don't have to do it alone okay so if one person takes something out of this then me sitting here and having a chat with you for an hour or so is worth it
0: yeah for sure all right so the only structured question we have today we have mm-hmm. a time machine in our podcast mm-hmm. if we rewound the clock to 20 year old matt given what you've learned so far over the last few years what advice would you give him mm-hmm.
1: Well, you let, you, you, just before we started this, you told me you were going to ask me that question. Mm. I said, I've got no idea what I would say. And I'm still (laughs) sitting here stumped at this point in time. What would I say to myself if I was 20? I would have said to myself, just slow down a little bit. Yep. You don't need to drink so much. You don't need to go out so late. You can still have a really good time of it. Why don't you see if you can dedicate a little bit of your time to going and helping somebody else out? Whether it's whether it was community or, or through some sort of work or something, because I think sometimes at that stage of life we can become a little bit self occupied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really good point, and there's Incredible joy which is available by just creating a bit of time to be helpful.
0: Mm, Absolutely. Mm. Good way to end it. Thanks so much for your time today, Matt. Good on you, Craig. Cheers, mate. A big thank you to today's guest, Matt Linnett. Uh, it was really open and honest discussion, and I appreciate your time and effort in, in coming to meet with us today and to add value to our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Matt, you can find some information on our website at www.hrgroup.com.au slash podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go back to our back catalogue and have a listen to some of the other people that we've had great career conversations with. If you're looking for a new opportunity or looking to change in your career, then start a conversation with us at Hunter Recruitment Group today. Until next time, I'm Craig McGregor.